Hey Fruitball listeners, Dave Kwanek here, creator and producer of Fruitball. I want to just tell you quickly about a fun new benefit that I've started sharing with my Patreon community. For just $5 a month, in addition to early access to episodes and behind-the-scenes updates, patrons will now get access to a video outtake from each interview, filmed in beautiful 4K video, on location, usually in the person's bedroom. So, at the very least, you can grab some new ideas for decorating, or better yet, silently judge them for their poor interior design decisions. Now, I'm also going to dig into the archive and start posting clips from seasons one and two. Go to fruitbowlpodcast.com donate for more information. Finally, before we start, I want to just give a quick shout out to Peter, who became our 14th patron this week. Thank you, Peter. Okay, that's it for me. Here's this week's interviewee, Alex. I was dating someone who was into playing online video games and such, like World of Warcraft type things. And I really wanted to just sit there and blow him for like his entire... I don't know what they call it, raid or or whatever. So if he's doing like a three or four hour session of doing nothing but playing World of Warcraft where I'm just in between his legs the entire time. But I didn't get to do that, unfortunately, before we, we separated. This is Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. My name is Alex and I'm 36. I'm a millennial. I'm the class of 2000. This interview was recorded in July of 2019 in San Francisco. I was born in New York, in Long Island, New York, Huntington. And I think it was nine years old um, is when we moved to South Florida, Boynton Beach, which is East Coast, about 30 minutes north of Fort Lauderdale. One brother, one sister. So uh, I'm the youngest. I'm the baby of the family. Uh, Oldest sister and then the middle child is my brother. I had a pretty mixed upbringing. Um, There was a lot of support and love on one side and a lot of craziness and rejection on the other side. My father tried to kill me when I was 16 years old by throwing a hammer at my face, which kind kind of blew up the family dynamic at that point. And I got disowned by my mom when I was about 21 or 22. Mm-hmm. And it took until I was about 24, 25 to kind of fully separate. There was a funeral, there was a wedding, so I was present for those. And then I just kind of fully separated about 24, 25. So my parents are both European. So I'm a first-generation American. My father's Italian. My mother is... English. So I think sex is something that you talk about or are more comfortable with in a European type of family at a younger age. Same with tobacco and coffee and wine. You know, like you can be 10 and smoking a cigarette and drinking wine if you're Italian. Uh, I was probably maybe six or seven years old when my mother sat me down to have uh, the talk. Um, She wanted to start talking to me about sex, but in particular, she wanted to instill some concepts and some understanding in with me. So she started telling me a story about how when she was about my age, six or seven, she was uh, molested by a neighbor. So this would have been when she was in England. 
and she wanted me to have an understanding of power dynamics between women and men, power dynamics on, on a sexual understanding, things that are okay and things that aren't okay, concepts of consent, healthy things to be talking about and in a fairly healthy way for me at a pretty young age. Um, and also, I want you to not treat it like women are objects, not to treat it like you have ownership, not to sexualize women. It is something that's a shared experience and that it's something that the female experience is not necessarily the way that it is portrayed, I guess, in culture. She was kind of wanting to introduce me to those concepts as well. And I'm sitting there and I'm understanding a lot and I'm hearing what she's saying. But when, when she's talking about women and men having sex, I'm just sitting there just like looking at her and I'm just like, yeah, but, but that's, that's not me. I'm just kind of looking at her. And thinking like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And so she's talking and, I'm, and, it, and as she's talking about the physicality, she's talking about getting men and women getting married and what a marriage should be and all these other things. And I'm looking at her like, hello, and not really planning to say it and not really thinking about what she was saying said. And sometimes men love other men and that's okay too. I was like, well, there we go. On, on the same page now. And so I heard that sentence coming from my mother and at a really young age had that concept. Sometimes men love other men and that's okay. That was not how she really felt about it. And I came to learn that when I got older, probably about nine or 10 or around that age. Um, I think as my mom started realizing more about myself. Um, and so I have this moment, this, this window from being about six or seven to about nine or 10, two or three year period to where you're still a child. You've been introduced to these concepts. You have a, 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 the slightest recognition of understanding of what they are and the concept of it's okay. Sometimes men have sex with men. You are attracted to men. This is, your, this is your identity, and it's okay. And I think that's a rarity. I think that's an extreme rarity. And it's, I have recognized how lucky I am to have had that, even though it went very downhill with my family after, you know, once I hit my puberty and hit, hit teens and things like that. Um, that brief moment in my life was extremely, extremely valuable. York in the fifth grade, which was the last year before we moved, they separate the boys and girls into the gymnasium and I think the library or something. And you watch the boys video with all the boys. And then you go in the other room and you watch the girls videos um, with all the boys. Um, and then there's a Q&A session. Um, and, you know, it's talking about periods and it's talking about hair and it's talking about wet dreams and masturbation. And masturbation was the one that everybody thought was hilarious, right? And so during the Q&A session, someone asked, can you masturbate with a friend? And everyone's giggling. And the teacher was not anticipating that question, I don't think. And he said, well, um, you don't have to, uh, but you can. And if you want to, that's okay. And if you don't want to, that's also okay. And so 
everybody is looking around at each other, kind of like determining who they would want to masturbate with or not. So that just probably set off one of the most like gay curious fifth grade classes of the New York suburb in Long Island. I think I have like a gay universal fairy godmother somewhere out there who's just kind of been guiding me since a very young age. Because there's things that I got exposed to that just shouldn't have happened. That just kind of kept me on the right path and kept me together and um, throughout my life. So shortly after my family moved to Florida, I was probably about nine, maybe had just turned 10, um, 27 years ago. I grew up in a very uh, evangelical Christian household. Um, and we were at church and there was a friend of the family who I didn't know, but my parents had known from when they lived in New York who was at that church. Um, and they were like, let's do dinner. And they were going to bring a friend. And it was a trans woman who they brought by and they had been bringing her to church and was she had very recently transitioned within the last year, gone through a divorce, found a new husband, and uh, they brought her over for dinner. And little nine-year-old, ten-year-old me got um, exposed to brand new exciting concepts that I think were incredibly valuable, providing me the space for me be, to be able to shape my own self-concept and gay identity um, by knowing that there was more out there on the gender and sexuality spectrum. Um, kind of learning there's a difference between gay and what was being called transsexual at the time and um, it kind of started developing these concepts of gender expression and love between a man and a woman and self-identity of femininity and self-identity of masculinity and what that meant for me and feeling comfortable feeling like I had some sort of feminine identity that I could feel comfortable with and that being masculine didn't necessarily mean a rejection of the feminine and that being gay didn't necessarily mean being effeminate and that there's things in both that you can celebrate and find out about yourself. So really young exposure to those types of concepts just from a very simple dinner with some questions and answers that happened that should just should not have happened. Like it, like how, how, that happened um, with my family is just baffling. Did you have some one-on-one -on -one time with this uh, trans woman? No, I think it was just like a certain connectedness. The questions that were, we were asking, and I don't really even remember if I asked any questions, I think it was just conversation between the adults that was happening. They weren't that probing and they weren't that inappropriate. Um, and she was very forthcoming in talking about her transition, her identity, her divorce. Um, her love for her husband. Um, she also had, I don't remember, but there was a health situation to where she had other things going on. Oh, she was part deaf and she had a colostomy bag for some other reason. So she had all of these things going on and still was so full of life because she had finally decided to start living herself in the way that she had always seen herself and thought of herself as. And so, uh, and I, I kind of recognized that. And I think just there was, 
a unspoken connected understanding that happened and these concepts that just started spinning off in my brain um, that little gay me knew and understood and now decades later after the fact are becoming more recognized uh, in the mainstream and, and spoken about in the mainstream in ways that are a hell of a lot more healthy than they were just two decades ago. Forever grateful to the trans community on a personal level because of the impact of one person. So my first relationship was with my bedsheet. Um, we had a we had a good time. You know, the first time it brushed against my hard cock and immediately made me come. I was like, oh. <laughs> I think it maybe worked three or four times. I think that was it, to where the sensitivity just like got got past it. Um, but maybe three or four times um, with a bed sheet, um, just like whoa, and then bam. So, uh, so I probably would have been about eight years old, maybe nine years old, the first time I saw a porno magazine. I had a friend, and we were. This is in New York, so this was in um, Huntington, and there was a there was someone's older brother or something who wanted to show us something, and he took us out into these woods. And lo and behold, somewhere out in the woods, underneath a log, was this stash of porn. I probably think like in like penthouse and like penetration being shown, and I remember, you know, they're looking at the girls, and I'm looking at the dicks, and then I look at the older boy. And I can see him starting to bulge. And I just had a complete understanding of what was happening. You know, like, I, like, you know, I have that as well. You know, like, and that's what happens. And, like, that's a part of the physical nature. And just, like, watching that and being, like, knowing that was what I wanted. And that summer, I remember there was a childhood friend who I was staying over at his place. We were really big into, like, collecting X-Men trading cards and things like that. And I think he was on my baseball team. And when it came close tonight, like he asked me like if I wanted to masturbate. And I said no. And it was because like I knew he wasn't my type. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, unfortunate there, but also having a very strong identity and knowing what I want and what I don't want also started at a very young age. So yeah. So my first, like, boyhood crush was my fourth grade math teacher. Tall, either Eastern European or, like, Polish, a slicked back black hair. I still love guys who are good at math. I still love guys who are tall. And, yeah, so that was, like, the first, like, oh. And a running theme of me having the hots for a teacher all the way through high school and, and things like that. But my first legit crush... Uh, Nobody in high school. I grew up in Florida. It's not. Um, so nobody really in high school. There were definitely some good-looking guys who I'd look at in, in the locker room. But it wasn't until I got to college. It was a, a neighbor. Um, nothing came of it. Um, and the more I got to know him, he was actually a righteous dickhead. So I'm very happy that nothing came of it. Really nice butt. Really, really nice. Nice everything. He was a good-looking guy. Yeah. First famous person crush was John Goodman on Roseanne. And then I remember when I saw him in Barton Fink, because I think he was shirtless and in like a pair of white generic boxers. 
absolutely John Goodman, and I would still do that right now. I would, yeah, very much so. Uh, no hesitation. I know that answer. <laughs> The girl that I took to prom, we went to an after party and she said, <laughs> she said something like, I'm leaving, I'm gonna go meet up with Dave, he's got a big dick. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> go get it. Um, she knew that I liked guys, I had told her. Um, I wasn't questioning whether I was gay at all. I was wondering whether I could be bisexual because I did not really want to have sex with girls, but there were so many girls who were attracted to me. And so that part was confusing to me. And I kind of wanted to see what I could learn because I knew, I knew I was going to go off into this world of gay sex and go off into this world of, of frolicking with men. And I kind of wanted to see what I could learn from heteronormative sex. You know, I, I wanted to explore. So we had sex and I, we had, looking back, very good sex um, over a course of a weekend. But I also, through the whole process, I was like, yep, I am not into this at all. I am hard because I'm 19 and because there's sexual activity and energy that's being passed around. But I also think that's valuable because when we're at queer parties here, especially in San Francisco, when you go to the right parties, it's all inclusive. You'll have trans folk, you'll have lesbians, you'll have bisexual, you'll have gay, you'll have curious folks, and there will be sexual energy from everybody coming around, which is really different from the ones where it's all, which are also very, very good, the ones where it's all men and it's all, so I like that I have that level of comfort that's there. I like that I do have that experience of um, female sexuality, the, the, the introduction that's there. It's not anything I want to explore ever again, but I'm, I was happy that I explored there. I'm of the age of the internet. So when I got my first computer when I was um, 14 or somewhere around there, but it did not take long before I went to some search engine and typed in hairy, husky men and then got introduced to like GeoCities pages and Yahoo group pages and, and all these other just websites because the web was very different back then. There was a lot of people just like creating their own web pages, sharing things about themselves, sharing stuff. So you found a lot of porn, but I also found, which was great, but I also found a lot of stories and a lot of experiences. And um, I also went on IRC, which I don't remember what that stands for, internet related chat, I don't know. Um, but if you're not familiar with IRC, it's the very, very early parts of like message boards and instant messaging to where you can have a chat room to where there's a lot of people just with some handle name and there might be topics and groups that you can join. And so I think I joined like hashtag gay. And so I uh, asked a lot of questions about the physicality of it. What is it like to bottom? What is it like? Uh, how do you, how does it work? And I got some very good, solid advice from experienced gay men. Um, I read The Joy of Gay Sex. Someone probably sent that to me. Um, so I learned a lot about sexuality, a lot about different concepts. And I think people understood the concepts of stigma and shame that could potentially be involved in it and got a lot of good advice about don't pay attention to those things. Um, if you want to explore being a top, do that. If you want to explore being a bottom, do that. 
You can be great at both or either or neither. If you just want to masturbate um, with your partner, that's fine. If you just want to have blowjobs, um, if you want to be in a group setting, like all of these things, lots of shared stories and experiences. And so I didn't particularly feel like I was in any type of rush to have sex when I was in my teens uh, into early 20s. Um, and I just kind of, at the point where I was, you know, just turned 20, I was like, I was in college and I was like, huh, I, I, I think it's time to have sex now. And so I went online, it may have been Bear World, no, or Bear Forest. Uh, it was it was a bear website. It was before the apps. It was, um, and I found someone in Tampa, I want to say, or Clearwater. So I was going to be driving up from South Florida to go back to school in Gainesville. And so I made a stopover Clearwater area um, to this guy, Big Bear. He didn't really instigate much. He was just kind of like, okay, hi, nice to meet you. Wow, you're hot. Yeah, thanks. You're hot too. Okay, do you want to just get naked and go in the bedroom? Yeah, okay. I think I bought him first, then I topped which has stuck with me. <laughs> that that order of operations has stuck with me. And it's kind of like a preferred order. Not mandatory, but I do like it when I bottom first before I top. Uh, so the first time I'm having sex, I had bottomed, and then he's like, do you want to top me? And so I was like, yeah, sure. So we're on his bed, and I'm in the middle of topping him, and I had my dog with me. This little white wire hair terrier, rat terrier, mixed with a chow. So he was a cool little dog. He was that big. His name was Hugo. And he was in the other room. And when I start topping him, he starts barking and barking and barking. And he put, the door was closed, but he pushed his way in, runs over to the side of the bed and takes a shit on the floor. And so, and it was a smelly, smelly shit. Um, and so I was just like, oh God. And it's like, like I kept going for like maybe 10 seconds <laughs> And then, like, we both realized we can't stand this. So he's like, don't worry about it. And this was an older guy. So he was probably in his late 30s, maybe, maybe 40 or 41. Um, and so he's like, don't worry about it. I'll clean it up. It's not a big deal. And he cleans it up. And, and I, I don't remember if we continued after that. <laughs> so my dog ran in and killed the mood. Aww. Yeah. And so I got back in the car and then drove back up. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that one was the one I wanted. Like, the difference between that one... And the heteronormative one, um, clear, very, very clear. It's like there, there's energy here. There's mutuality here. There's like shared sexual excitement and there's anticipation. There's all this other stuff that's going along with it to where the other one was just kind of like motions and, and things. So... I've been in a handful of relationships to where I can say I love the person or loved the person. I don't really know if I've ever been in love, but I kind of feel like that has got to have a little bit more mutuality than I've experienced. I've definitely had guys who are in love with me and I've definitely felt like I was in love with someone else. Uh, and it just was pretty much, I wouldn't say unrequited, but not the same um, to where there's shared feelings and fondness and affection, but definitely not mutual feelings of being in love. So I don't, I wouldn't say I've had that. I can say I have fallen for someone, but not to where it was mutual. So I know what I can bring to a relationship in terms of emotional connection 
and needs and um, being open and honest and being able to share things and being able to be on a part of someone's journey and what all of that feels like. And these are all things that are part of what we talk about when we're talking about love, but that legitimate feeling where you have fallen for someone, that has not happened to where it's been recognized the same way on the other side. Uh, first off, when people ask me, like, what's my favorite fill-in-the-blank, I don't have a favorite. Like, there's always, like, a amorphous bundle of about three or five things that rotates in about uh, generally how I'm feeling that I kind of keep in balance. Um, so there's no one thing. Plus, I'm good at a handful of things. But if I'm bottoming, so I am a dominant bottom. And so if things are going well and if I'm, let's say, on all fours or if I'm being mounted from behind, I can take over if I kind of wrap my legs or my feet out um, and kind of hook on to his legs or ankles area with my feet from behind and pull him in and kind of take over from that point and kind of lead the motion and kind of start pushing back into him and then pulling him forward and kind of start doing things that way. Um, and that's usually unexpected. <laughs> and I usually get a positive, uh, not always. Some guys are very, I am top, I am dominant mode. So which leads into the one that's even better is, um, I like a range of men, but if it's a big man, it's a lot harder to do this, but when, it, when I can pull those off with a big man, it's even more exciting. So if I'm lying down on my stomach, um, and I tell him to get completely on top of me, where he's inside of me, and all of his body weight is on top of me. He's laying down, like, on top of me. Yes. Yeah. Um, to then, I will then lift myself up on my elbows and on my knees to where now he is suspended in air on top of me. And I start backing into him um, to where I'm fucking him into the air for, as a bottom. That's a good move. That's a good move. I don't know if I could do that. It takes it takes um, upper body strength. It takes lower body back strength. Lower body strength. It takes a good amount of coordination. And don't do it like you get be it, do it in the middle of the bed. This is why I have a king size bed. You can't do it on the side because if you lose your balance, you don't want to tip them off and send them flying because he's never going to come back after that. So that's one thing. Um, I'm particularly good in a sling as a bottom to where I am. And I learned this. I only learned this recently because I tried it and I was a little nervous. Um, to where I'm really good at swinging myself back and forth into it to where I'm completely coming off of the cock and then jamming back into it. So kind of power fucking myself to where I ha you have to have good aim. Like if you miss, miss you know. So those, those are fun and those are good moves. But I would say the thing that if I had to go to a good move, I can give an amazing blowjob. I am not talking about like a, I can make you come in five minutes or I can make you come in two minutes. That's ridiculous to me. I'm talking about um, like I can keep you hard for like two or three hours the entire time. I can edge you to where you are going to be on the verge of coming and hold you there to where you start having that preliminary orgasm experience and not go anywhere from there and hold it and then bring it back down and then slowly build it back up again and then hold it and then bring it back down. Um, really good at getting guys to come multiple times back to back or with minimal time in between. So extending out a session for that as well, um, two or three times and kind of 
learning a lot about your cock and what kind of makes it twitch um, while I'm blowing you to really maximize. And, and it's, um, I've had some guys tap out, like it's a full body tantric experience to where you, I am pulling all the energy from you and then putting it all back into you um, with a really, really good mouth massage with lots and lots of different tricks and techniques. Um, again, I learned at a very young age kind of what sex was about and kind of connectivity and paying attention. And if you take, if you take into account the nerdy stuff in terms of like neuroscience and psychology and things that I studied, not at a deep level, but at, at a basic level in college, that understanding the space between where I am and where you are. And as we venture between that space and kind of think about all of that while you're also paying attention to the physicality of it, is his cock getting harder? Is the skin getting stiffer? Is um, this area not doing much if my tongue is over here? Or is it doing something if it's on this side of his cock? Does he masturbate with his left hand or his right hand? You know, like the wetness level, the suction level, uh, the speed and the motion. Does he like high speed, slow, strong suction, and then just whatever flickers and flutters and fatness of the tongue, wideness of the tongue, pressure of the tongue. Do you want to get the teeth involved? What do you think are the specific signs of somebody just before they come that you can kind of read in order to pull back? It's different from person to person, and it won't work with everybody. Okay. Um, some of it is kind of more in the mental stage, and others is the physical thing. So obviously if they, how they're breathing um, how, whether they're shaking, if they're shaking, how much, is it a full body convulsing type? That's usually a good sign that I'm doing a good job edging is when they are uncontrollably full body shaking and, um, making strange, uncontrollable noises. Um, is, was there pre-cum? Some, but some folks pre-cum the second you put your cock, their, their cock in your mouth. So, um, it is, a combination of the physical and the mental and kind of that energy, spiritual type of thing. Um, so, it, and it's different from guy to guy. But there is a particular type of moan um, that happens when a guy is feeling that initial urge for a much longer extended period of time than his body and brain is used to. Um, that is a lot more guttural and a lot more uninhibited and a lot more authentic. So when you hear that, you know it's definitely happening. What does that sound like? I can't do it right now because it's it's guttural and authentic and and from that point, and it's different from guy to guy, but it just it's that it's that combination of full breathed and breathless to where you don't have any air to give this full air moan that may be high pitched, that may be low pitched, that may be a, a weird sound, um, but when it happens, you're like, gotcha. Um, and some of them are quiet and some of it's just a breath and you hear that to <laughs> type of thing. <laughs> uh, so, um, but how, how do you know how to get there again? It's, it's paying attention to the, me to the mental and to the physical. And it's kind of like, what I can really kind of do is if I feel, if, if, especially in the earlier part, if I can tell that I did something that was stimulating, um, and I kind of can feel it try to get back there myself in understanding that I'm going on a journey with this person that I can take them there. Um, and so that we're going to go back to hitting that point and then riding it. And then also trusting and understanding that is not the peak. That is not necessarily the apex. That is just one of hopefully many to come 
to where you can go higher and higher and get increase the intensity. And it's different from person to person because people have different experiences. And, and um, some people do get overwhelmed. Some guys get overwhelmed when they start feeling a level of sexual in intensity that they haven't felt before. Um, whether it's lightheadedness or just a sudden sense of self-awareness and, and um, I, I don't know, just like confusion maybe and just like I need, I need a moment <laughs> type of thing. Uh, yeah, like it's not, no, that was great. Don't, don't get me wrong. I just need a break type of thing. Um, yeah. What's been your longest edging session? Uh, probably three and a half hours. Yeah. I don't want anything less than 20 minutes really. Um, and so, but yeah, three hours, three and a half hours, probably the longest three, three cum shots is, is the, I've never gotten someone to come four times. I've had a good handful of folks who I've gotten to come three times and only one guy who I got to come three times back to back to back to where it was. I've had two back to back, but three to where it was like he came and then I kept going and then he came again, and then I kept going. And like in between each one, it was maybe 15 seconds to 60 seconds, wow. you know, somewhere in that range. And where he had like fully come and stopped and then just went again. And like full loads too. So it was, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. On him, I, I think that's impressive on him more so than on me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and with a lot of guys, the second load is a bigger load. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, ooh. <laughs> there's this. Yeah, there's this one guy who I was, I was playing with, and his second load just went everywhere. And that was the first time he had done that, and he was like, "I didn't know that there was more in there." So yeah. Yeah, a lot of guys are like, "Okay, I'm done. Let's yeah. do something else." But, yeah. I'm one of those guys. It, I I have I have a blowback period of at least like 20 minutes to where it's I come and then it's like, "Don't go there." Mm -hmm. It's, I'm in, I'm hibernating. I need a, I need a moment, you know? So yeah. When you have read about things and then tried things out and also have had things done to you, um, I am forever grateful to the gay men who have come before me and forged our path for our freedoms and for our rights and for the amazing blowjobs that they have given me that have taught me how to do different things. So um, I, didn't, I didn't get all this out on my own. This is things that I have learned either through conversation or through someone showing me stuff. So I am a bear. You know, I'm a hairy guy. I am, I've got a belly. I've got some huskiness to me. I've got a beard. And so guys who are into bears, I frequently am like, that is what a bear is. Like, that's what they're looking for, you know? Um, and so in my 20s to early 30s, I think I was the focal point a lot more to where guys were definitely looking to please me. And within the last four years or so, I've definitely taken the approach of, I am here to please you. So irrespective of if I'm topping you, bottoming for you, um, blowing you, fisting you, I am here to create the space to share in the experience of your pleasure. And if that means your pleasure is finding my pleasure, then fine, great. Yet 
what else can I pull from that I know that is going to give you pleasure that maybe you haven't had before? And I like that in a lot of different ways and a lot of different dynamics. So when you're playing with folks who are in the dom-sub type of or dad-boy type of mentality or BDSM or kinks or certain um, roles, if the focus, on the, the focus on the role is something that they are very intent on, I like to ensure that pleasure is a part of it. That's why I'm doing it. And so I think the switch happened to where it's like, okay, I've had a lot of guys who are into getting me off or into like, what do I want? And it's like, I want to make the switch here. And I think that's been a switch now from earlier in my sexual career. And I think I was finding a lot of guys who were, they were expecting that I was wanting to be pleased, you know, um, to where I would, because again, I have a dominant presence and a dominant personality. And I think that's where that comes into. And I think if I can take that um, and make it about you and your discovery and your pleasure and your experience more so, um, then that's that. That's where the switch has been. When I was a young gay child, just heard, it's okay to be gay. And understanding that core concept. There's plenty of folks out there at different stages in their life and different stages in their development who don't fully know or believe that that is the case. And I think with society, we're, we're getting there. We're getting further along. And I think... Um, the more we talk about our experiences and the more we share these types of things, the more we feel like it is okay um, and like we are okay. Part of why I wanted to do this and part of what I'm doing with my art is creating gay art and creating gay content, creating gay culture to continue that forward and to make sure that that is prevalent in the understanding, not just of ourselves, but of our shared community. And not just our community, but our, our species as a whole. Um, I think it is something that we have known, yet maybe have forgotten or have been told otherwise um, over the centuries. And I think it's something that needs to be celebrated and understood. And I would just encourage folks out there to not only just be your true self, not only learn and explore and love and do those things, but also see what you can create, not just in giving back to the community, not just in volunteering, but what can you create? It, what, what art can you bring? What can you put intention on for an object or um, in the digital space that has gay on it, all over it, in your way? and from your perspective and your understanding from your experience. And what can you do in some small matter? Because I, I think that's important and I think it helps all of us when we all find a way to do that and to be creative in, in that manner. We are creatives and sexuality is part of everyone's life, irrespective of your, your orientation. And it's part of our lived experience and shared experience. And so find a way to do that yourselves. Give poppers another try. I didn't really get into poppers until recently. Like, maybe within the last two years. I, I tried them and people talked about them and I didn't like them. And now I kind of get it and I kind of understand more 
um, their place and how to utilize them and, and what they can be good for, I would say give them another try. Fruit Bowl interviews are edited for clarity and brevity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Fruit Bowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions and news about future production. Visit fruitbullpodcast.com for links and contact information. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. I'm Syra B. This has been a production of Cubed Media, LLC. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.